Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, a listener writes in and they have a great question. The question is, what does it mean that the Bible is divinely inspired? Well, two words are sometimes used to explain the extent of biblical inerrancy, which means that the Bible is without error. And these two words are plenary and verbal. Plenary comes from the Latin plenus, which means full, and it refers to the fact that the whole scripture in every part is God-given. Verbal comes from the Latin verbum, which means word, and it emphasizes that even the words of Scripture are God-given. Plenary and verbal inspiration means that the Bible is God-given, and therefore without error, in every part, doctrine, history, geography, dates, names, every single word. The Old Testament writers saw their, their message as God-breathed and utterly reliable. God promises Moses he would eventually send another prophet, Jesus Christ, who would also speak God's word as Moses had done in Deuteronomy 18.18. Jeremiah was told at the beginning of his ministry he would speak for God in Jeremiah 1.9. Peter and John saw David's words in Psalm 2 not merely as the, the king of Israel's opinion, but as the voice of God. And so they introduced a quotation from that psalm, Psalm 2, in a prayer to God in Acts 4.25. Paul accepted Isaiah's words as God himself speaking him in, in Acts 28.25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. In fact, so convinced were the New Testament writers that all the Old Testament scriptures were God's actual words that they even claim scripture says when the words quoted came directly from God. Two examples of this are Romans 9, 7 and Galatians 3, 8, where Paul, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. In Hebrews 1, many of the Old Testament passages quoted were addressed to God by the psalmist, and yet the writer to the Hebrews refers to them as the word of God. In John uh, 10, 34, Jesus quoted from Psalm 82, verse 6, and he based his teaching on a single phrase. In other words, Jesus proclaimed that the words of this psalm were the word of God. In Matthew 22, 31 through 32, he claimed that the words of Exodus 3, 6 were given to them by God. In Matthew 22, 43-44, our Lord quoted from Psalm 110.1, and he pointed out that David wrote these words in the Spirit, meaning he was writing the very word of God. In a, contra- in a confrontation with the Sadducees over the doctrine of the resurrection, which they denied, Jesus silenced his opposition. He argued the entire resurrection belief on the tense of a simple verb, to be in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, Job had told Moses at the burning bush, "I am the God of Abraham." But as Jesus taught, Abraham had been dead four hundred and eighty years when he when that statement was made. 
And so arguing that God was a God of the living and not the dead, Jesus claimed life after death to be true. And so Jesus used the tense of a verb to prove Abraham was not merely physically dead, but was living in the presence of God. So the fact that Jesus used a word and its tense, it demonstrates his deep confidence in the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. God spoke by his Spirit through man, which theologians call the dual authorship of, of Scripture. Second Peter 1.21 discusses this when it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And when theologians speak of this vital aspect of the doctrine of Scripture, they emphasize how God spoke to man by his Spirit while simultaneously using the writer's personality, gifts, and talents. God revealed the subject matter, and he supervised its writing so that it was free from error. God allowed the human author's latitude in terms of diction, idioms, and logic. The result of dual authorship is that while each human author wrote in a unique style, the end product was exactly what God wanted, exactly what God communicated, and it was written without error and without the possibility of error. You see, the amazing thing is that God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. The men who, were, who recorded his word, they were ordinary men whom the Lord used in an amazing way to record his divinely inspired word. During his ministry, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, faced attacks on the doctrine of Scripture on every single front, but he stood fast on the trustworthiness of the word of God. In fact, uh, Spurgeon's example today is incredibly instructive for those of us who are Reformed and Evangelical today. If, the, if church history has taught us anything, it should be that when a high view, the biblical view of the Word of God is upheld, Jesus will be brought glory. And now Spurgeon's example is especially important in this regard as a high view of God's Word and of God's Son in Jesus Christ is needed in our day. Spurgeon proclaimed the word of God in a time when the truth was under attack much like today. But he did not compromise on the truth. Spurgeon continues to make an impact on people's lives today, even though he's been long dead. But he did not compromise on Scripture because he was a man aflame with the grace of God in the revealed word. Spurgeon made an impact because of his passion for and stance on evangelical truth, which he contended for, which he defended, and which he proclaimed with all of his might to the glory of God. Men and women of passion and conviction are needed in evangelicalism today. People who will contend, they will defend, they will proclaim the truth of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, the authority and the inspiration of Scripture, the eternal punishment of unbelievers, original sin, and the absoluteness of Christianity. Every generation of Christians must determine if they are going to stand for biblical truth or lay down their sword and accept the lie of theological liberalism. In fact, many others are questioning the authority of the Word of God today, either through how they use the Bible, what they think about Adam as a historical person, or their stance on gender roles. This generation of believers will have to decide, as did Spurgeon. If they will stand on the truth of the word of God and lift up the Son of God among the nations, or whether they will lay down their sword <coughs> and succumb to the heirs of theological liberalism. Spurgeon, in an all-around ministry, addresses to ministers and students, uh, page 230 
says this, believers must never adjust the Bible to the age, but the age to the Bible. You see, Christians have, have not been given the Bible to speculate on, but to read, to study, to meditate upon, to contend, to defend, and proclaim to the nations. The Word of God always stands in judgment of men. Never do men stand in judgment of it. This fact reveals the fundamental problem going on inside and outside the church today, exposing, as Spurgeon knew in his own time, that today's issues are old issues. They're rooted in who is authoritative, God or man. As with every generation before and everyone after it, the truth of God's word will remain authoritative. It will reign unchanging and unrelenting as it seeks to lift high the glory of Jesus among the nations. As the word of God did its work in Spurgeon's day and in days before Spurgeon and in days after Spurgeon, God is still at work today. And so we as evangelicals, we as Reformed Christians, we can be encouraged that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, as Hebrews 4.12 says. The Word of God is the means by which the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the life of the people of God. We as evangelicals need to stand firm in the grace of God and the Word by looking to the example of men like Spurgeon. Be encouraged that God, by His grace, is still working to bring people to Himself, and He is still building his church for his glory. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.